Hi there, everybody. Hope you're all doing uh, fairly well. Um, got you all in my heart and mind. This is really, uh, yeah, it's really a, a weird thing. I'm just keeping, trying to keep positive and hoping for all those that have it uh, worse than me, thinking of you and hoping that we as a community can pull together. Got a couple of, uh, I, got a, I got a message here that I'm going to split into two pieces. I'm really excited about part two. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to bait you with that, but I'm going to talk a little bit about, uh, uh, my family and my, my mom and my dad specifically, and my sister, some, and the experiences that they went through in their life, which were very formative for me, uh, as, as, a, as the privileged one in the family, they went through some things that, uh, are quite mind boggling, uh, in their, in their journeys. And, I, I think what I've learned from that and what I want to share next week about that, it's going to be encouraging to us in this very stressful time uh, of the COVID-19. Stressful in so many ways, financially, obviously for many, uh, devastatingly. So uh, if you're a business owner, if you're an employee, there's just, there's, there's just so much catastrophic stuff happening. And uh Physically, for others who are literally getting sick, uh, psychologically, for others who are uh, compromised and in fear of getting sick, or uh, just uh, you know, not even compromised. I mean, I've you know I've, I've listened to stories from some people that have had this thing, and uh, it was like you don't ever want to go through it. Um, now, some have some have skated through, you know, mildly, and that's amazing. But that's kind of what's mind-boggling is nobody knows really how it's going to affect anybody at any age and uh and that makes it very difficult so anyways i want to talk a little bit about the organic jesus movement the organic original jesus movement um in my estimation what jesus started has been an unadulterated titanic failure what Jesus intended to do and started to do, that concept that he pushed out there uh, has failed miserably. For 2,000 years, it's failed. Uh, Christianity as a religion has had a modicum of success. And uh, as far as world religion goes, it's one of the world world's largest religions as far as people that call themselves adherents to it. But um, I don't believe for a second that in any way, shape, or form, Jesus intended uh, to have what's happened. I mean, I don't think the, the, the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, um, uh, the Anglican Church, uh, Pentecostal movement, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, wherever you go with it, that any of those things even remotely, remotely reflect what Jesus was trying to do and had in mind for his movement. So I got to be honest, uh, Jesus' movement was and has remained for the large part of over 2,000 years. Maybe the first 100 years or so it had some traction, but it, it, it failed. And the primary reason is, is because the most influential people in the world, the wealthiest people in the world, um, didn't buy into it. Uh, and, and that had a, a primary effect. Now, uh, where Christianity has had success in its, uh, in its church, in church history is where there was wealth 
and power that adopted Christianity and then used it for their power and wealth, okay? Uh, other religions have far more, uh, have devotees that are for, far more adherence to their organic forms. Uh, I would say that's true of Islam. I would say that's true of Hinduism. I would say that's true of Buddhism. Um, I would say that's even true of Mormonism. I mean, for the most part, Mormons are sticking pretty close. And that's a brand new religion. I mean, that's a baby religion. That's an infant religion. But they stick pretty close uh, as a group to their original uh, concepts and thoughts. Now, certainly it's it's evolved as all religions do uh, and, 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 and gotten more, uh, well, just, just more pliable and more, and more open. Uh, but, uh, as far as religions go, Jesus failed. Okay. Jesus was, as we talked about this peasant, a skinny, emaciated, uh, protein starved lice, and parasite-ridden, leathered and weathered old man, single old man. He was in his 30s when he started this ministry, and that's old for Sanka Temple time period, old for, for the world 2,000 years ago, particularly as a peasant. And he starts this movement that's become known as the Way, or at least early on, that, that has disappeared. But I think the original... The original title of what Jesus started was called The Way and is more appropriate uh, for what he was trying to do. Uh, now, Jesus wasn't just standing up for the marginalized and poor, though we see that in his teachings. Everything about his life uh, reflected being poor and marginalized. He was born in a back alley behind a trash dumpster. He was, he was murdered, beaten, stripped naked, and, you know, crucified, or as we would put it, he, he went to death row and he was put in the electric chair and fried by the state. That's an inglorious death, a humiliating death. Um, Jesus didn't just advocate for the poor and the marginalized. He was the poor and the marginalized. We looked at that pretty good in the last message. And yet he ordered, even commanded, a new way to do life. And that included everybody, from the top brass, the top-rung elite, to the bottom-rung peasant. He was calling and inviting people into a new way to live. And, uh, and it didn't take. I mean, the rich were not interested in, in what Jesus was peddling. Um, the poor were. And that's why most of his adherents were poor, but they were also powerless because of their poverty. It's no different than today. Uh, now, there were a few that bought in. We can think of like uh, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, wee little man, blah, 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 up in the tree. Anyways, Zacchaeus was a very powerful, very rich man in his time. Uh, as a, 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 he, had, he was a chief tax collector over a, a large segment of the population and was very wealthy. And yet somehow he was enamored with Jesus, 
he actually caught on to what Jesus was teaching and ended up doing a flip. I mean, he just, he just did a 180. He gave away his wealth. He uh, made right the people that he uh, extorted. He returned money. Now, that's, it's all a very beautiful story. But let me tell you, that was the end of his career. The Romans were not interested in, <laughs> in tax collectors that were um, honest <laughs> and, and benevolent and generous and taking it easy on the folks. No, that, that his career was over. We can rest assured that his encounter with Jesus revolutionized the way he did life, but it ended his career and it ended his wealth and he became the poor and marginalized. Uh, that happened to others. Uh, I can think of Lazarus. Lazarus was close to Jesus. Remember Martha, Mary, the sisters. Uh, from what we read, we can think that he was well-to-do and a close friend of Jesus. And uh, But even he, like when Jesus, you know, at least in the story, he raises him from the dead, right? He comes out of the tomb. Uh, and, and then the narrative says that right away, the Sanhedrin, the religious elite and leaders began to plot his murder. So like, Lazarus was rich. He caught on with the Jesus message, and uh, he dies a natural death, but then he's raised a life to be murdered by religious people. A uh, couple of others, Nicodemus, a priest, he came to Jesus at night, remember, in the Gospel of John, have that whole conversation about being born again. Uh, well, he shows up at the, at the end of Jesus' life. He was a very wealthy and powerful person. And he shows up with another guy, another wealthy and powerful person, Joseph of Arimathea. And they are the ones, while everybody else scattered, I mean, all his, his disciples left him, you know, except for the women, except for the women. Um, but all the disciples, all the male disciples scattered. But Joseph and Nicodemus confronted, Her uh, not confronted, uh, Pilate and asked for the body. And they took it and they put it in Joseph's newly hewn tomb. Joseph as, uh, of Arimathea, as a very wealthy man, had a beautiful new tomb built, and he placed Jesus in his own grave because Jesus would have been thrown in the town dump, a place called Gehenna, which is often translated as hell. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Uh, outside of that, who else? Oh, Joanna. Now, Joanna is also in chapter uh, 8 of, of John. She is one of the female of many female uh, disciples that Jesus had, which was really radical. Uh, she was the wife of a guy named Cusa, who was the head of King Herod's household. He was King Herod's right-hand man and manager of all his stuff, very wealthy, and his wife Cusa uh, of Cusa, uh, Joanna, very wealthy, and she was a follower of Jesus, and she would fund him. She was kicking bucks into the Jesus movement. She was wealthy. We don't know what happened to her. So, the, the Jesus movement, known as the Way, now in the Hebrew, that's called Halakha. It means literally the path. The way. And halakha uh, was a word that was very common. Uh, you had the Torah, which is the, the uh, five books of Moses. 
you had the writings and you had the prophets that make up the Tanakh, uh, the Hebrew Bible. But then you also had the oral tradition, which in Jesus' day was just as important in many ways. And what was the oral tradition called, the oral teachings? It was called the Halakha, the way. In other words, it was the way to interpret the Bible and live it out in your life. This is the path, the way. And Jesus' uh, teachings himself were oral. He never wrote anything down. He didn't publish anything. He didn't say, everybody take notes. Uh, he didn't. He didn't say, open up your Bibles too. We're going to do a little Bible study. No, he just spoke freely. And he quoted scriptures from the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, his Bible. He certainly did that, but he also reinterpreted them. And, and, and he maligned them. And he quoted them out of context. Or he brought a different context than what people thought. And that was problematic uh, because he didn't have the authority to do that kind of stuff. But he did it anyways. Jesus' movement sputtered out. The upside-down life, a lot of us call it. Like Jesus' life, the upside-down living, it didn't get traction. Uh, ultimately, a religion did. And, and that's what we're dealing with the wake of 2,000 years later. Uh, we think of like, for example, Jesus' halakha, the way, uh, the teaching of Jesus that he did by example when he washed his disciples' feet. It was street theater. It was a setup. He set up the last meal, which was the Passover meal. They all got there. He already had made pre-arrangements for the place and the meal and everything. The one thing he left out was somebody to wash feet which was a normal thing when you're renting a place, a servant to do that. And he was renting the place. Uh, and all the disciples came in. Nobody saw a, a, a foot washer. They saw the basin. They saw the water and they saw a towel. But all the disciples said, not my job. And then Jesus, as you know, got down on his knees, stripped down and washed his disciples' feet. And they were appalled. I mean, Peter was appalled. Never shall you wash my feet. But he washed them all including Judas. And he said, I have set before you an example that what I have done for you, you should do for each other. In other words, uh, and he uses the word, in the, in the Greek, it's translated as a hupodiagma. When he says, I've set before you an example, it's a compound word, hupodiagma. It means to put over and copy and trace. Trace your life over my actions. Now, he could have used a different word. He could have used mameomai. Uh, not that Jesus spoke Greek, but the, the, the Hebrew equivalent of where we get the word mimic. Mameomai, mimic. Mimic me. In other words, I'm setting before you an example, now mimic it. Copy it. Go around and wash everybody's feet. No, that wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about something levels deeper. He was trying to say that nothing is below you in the service of others. Pick up the towel, the basin, and the water, and be a servant if it advances somebody else's well-being. Be their servant. Um, the, that was typical of Jesus' upside-down teachings, right? The first shall be what? Last. The greatest, the most humble. 
Um, if you want to be forgiven, forgive. If you want to live, die to yourself and your ego. Um, the richest are those that are most generous. This is all upside down living. These are the teachings of Jesus that adherents today could care less about, quite frankly, and certainly don't apply to their lives for the most part. Okay, uh, Mark eleven twenty five. 25. I like to read this. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Beautiful. But that all went to the wayside, all of that. It was shelved, rather, for the Bible. It was shelved for this creation, this man-made creation called the Bible. Not a God creation, a man-made creation. Now, the teachings in the Bible, in the New Testament, and from the words and mouth and lips of Jesus may have been very divine, <laughs> but the Bible isn't. Um, but that was shelved. And then it was also shelved for this upstart rabbi who comes on the scene, who never lived with, followed, was a part of Jesus' movement, and never was an original disciple to Jesus, this guy named Shaul, uh, Saul as we call him, who became Paul. He was a murderer of Christians, and then he became a follower, and he was a quadruple type A personality, and he basically took over the whole program. And he, in large part, is what created what is today Christianity. Um, and also erased much of what Jesus seminally was trying to do. Uh, so what happened is that Jesus became an object of worship rather than a pathway to follow. You know, he became the e-ticket, the... Uh, you know, monopoly, get out of jail free card. It became this belief in Jesus to get us to heaven. Ask Jesus into your heart. Forgive us, Jesus, I'm a sinner so I can be forgiven and go to heaven because you died for me. A lot of weird theologies came in. But Jesus uh, became a litmus test to how to get to heaven. And certain creeds all include that. They all became this litmus test of what you have to believe in rather in than how you live out your life. And that's religion in a nutshell. And it's the crux of American evangelicalism. Now, being a peasant, I'm sure some of you are thinking like, well, then how did Jesus even get followers? Well, because genius, genius, Jesus was genius. I mean, the things he said and spoke. Uh, as some have said, as, I've never heard a man speak like this. No one has ever spoken like this. His teachings were radical. But uh, he was poor. Like I said, a skinny, emaciated, weathered and leathered, old, single dude with lice. Wouldn't that just discount him? No, because in the Bible narrative, we see many of the prophets come out looking just like that. Listen, here, listen to Isaiah. And Isaiah is one of the, you know, one of the big prophets. Um, and he describes what will be a great prophet 
that is still to come. And he describes the attributes of this prophet. But one of them is, he, in Isaiah 53 too, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Isaiah, the prophet, is talking about this one to come, this great prophet that they need to listen to. And he's saying, he ain't going to look like anything. He's not going to wow you. He's not going to amaze you. But that was regular for prophets, right? <laughs> Isaiah himself was an impoverished whack job. Listen to what God asked him to do. God, Isaiah 20. It says this, the Lord told Isaiah, son of Amos, take off the burlap you have been wearing. Okay, he's dressed in potato sacks, not Armani suits, okay? Typical of a prophet, poverty. Isaiah came from poverty. But he's, God's going to use him to speak to the Jewish people. What's he going to tell them to do? He says, remove your sandals. Isaiah did as he was told, and he walked around naked and barefoot. <laughs> Love this. God says, take your clothes off and walk around town buck naked. And Isaiah does it. And then the Lord said, my servant, Isaiah, has been walking around naked and barefoot for the last three years. <laughs> so... Three years, the guy, this homeless dude, is walking around naked and barefoot in the cities and the towns. Okay? That's a prophet for you. That is an attention getter. At least to some, but certainly not to all, right? We would be freaked out if we saw that. And he says, this is a symbol of the terrible troubles I'm going to bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia. He's trying to say to the judgment coming that you guys are all going to be, you know, so impoverished and wiped out when I judge you that you're going to walk around naked. But it's, okay, but that's not unusual for the prophets. They're weird, right? Uh, Ezekiel. I love Ezekiel. Ezekiel's like mushrooms, acid trip. Uh, Ezekiel. Listen to this one. God says, take some wheat and barley and use them to bake some bread for yourself. Mm. It's poor people's food. Barley is poor people. And he says, eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread. And that's poverty. That's poor people's bread. And he says, and bake the bread in the sight of the people. Using your human excrement for fuel. Ezekiel, I want you to go down to the post office across from the pharmacy downtown Ojai, and I want you to take a big dump right there on the sidewalk. Do it in the baking heat of summer. And then when it dries out, I want you to use it as fuel to bake yourself a cupcake. So awesome. Oh my God. It's so funny because even like Ezekiel's like, that's that's fucked up, God. I'm not doing that. And he said, the Lord said, 
In this way, the people of Israel will eat defiled food amongst the nations where I will drive them. He's talking about like, you know, he's judging his own people. It's going to be so bad, you know. What he's doing right now will seem like a delicacy. But in verse 14, Ezekiel says, no way, dude, I ain't doing that. So verse 15 says, God, very well, I'll let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. <laughs> God, I love the Bible, right? Oh, my God. Now, I've done some wacky things in my life, and I've been accused of, you know, yeah, but come on. But now, the harbinger of the way, the 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 cousin of Jesus comes on the scene as as a voice crying out from the wilderness. Who's that? That's John, Johanan, John the Baptist. And it says, John's clothes were woven of coarse camel hair. It's kind of like burlap. He was, his clothes were made of camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. And for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. That's as poor as it gets. He's eating grasshoppers and honey. Wow. Jesus didn't have authority. Jesus was a prophet. But prophets did have traction with people. Particularly the poor people. And here's the thing. Even the rich people were scared by prophets. There was like this magical power. When you're really rich and you see somebody really defiant that's poor and unafraid, it's unnerving to the rich. And when they see masses of other poor people gather around them, they get a little nervous when they have a follower. Matter of fact, they, they attacked Jesus one day, Mark 12, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, three of the elite religious rulers, came to him, and they asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? The word in the Hebrew is shemicha. They're saying, who ordained you? Where did you go to seminary? Did you go to Princeton? Harvard? Yale? What seminary did you go to that you have this kind of authority? Did you go to Dallas Seminary and come out with a PhD? Talbot Theological Seminary with a PhD? You're a country bumpkin. You're a, you're, you're a peasant. And you're walking around teaching like you have ordination and credentials but you don't have a damn thing. Now, what he did have was truth and wisdom, and that freaked them out. So they asked him again, who gave you the authority to do this? And then Jesus says, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And then he speaks of Johanan, John the Baptist. He says, John's baptism, was it from heaven or human origin? You tell me. And they discussed it amongst themselves. They said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, and why didn't you believe him? John the Baptist. But if we say it was human, they feared the people. For everyone held that John really was a prophet. Whoa, so they're in a jam. And Jesus was putting him in that jam because he also was coming 
and had authority of a prophet. Jesus was asking us, what are you going to put your trust in, your faith in? And we use the word faith, and I want to talk about faith next week versus trust. Uh, the word in the Hebrew is emunah. It means a, a firmness, a steadfastness, a fidelity to a path, to a way, to the way. Uh, pistu, pistuo, or pistis in the Greek is the counterpart. Uh, and that, that changes, the Greek kind of changes what that really means. Uh, if you look at like Nelson's Bible Dictionary, right? That's your evangelical stuff, right? It defines faith as a belief in or confident attitude toward God involving commitment to his will for one's life. Well, that's, I wish that they actually believed that. But what, what it's melted down to is a belief in. So faith is, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, he's my Lord and Savior. That's really not the question. Do you have trust in Jesus Christ? Well, what do you mean by that? Do you live out his teachings? Jesus would be far more impressed with people who aren't so sure about his divinity, his virgin birth, or his Superman ascension flying back into heaven, but looked at his teachings and go like, hmm, that's some good stuff for the world. That person would be considered a person who had faith in Jesus. That's why he used people like a Samaritan as a man of faith. A Syrophoenician woman, you have great faith. A Samaritan woman by the well as an example of faith. Today, faith means belief in an intellectual assent. Back then, faith meant I'm going to follow this path, the narrow path of the golden rule. Do you trust Jesus? Is he a way of life for you? Or is he something to believe in? Which is more important, in your opinion and to you? And what would make a di bigger difference in your life? Your belief in Jesus? Are you following the pathway of Jesus in the way you live? Questions to contemplate. Peace and grace be with you.